Welcome to the world's premier Black Crows podcast. Hey folks, Ian Rice here, one half of the State of America podcast. Just wanted to break in here quickly. It's been a bit since we recorded this episode, and now that we're finally releasing it, we just wanted to let you know that in the interim, our guest this week, Mr. Liam Whiting, has started his own podcast. It's called the Open Your Ears podcast, and it deals entirely with the band Alter Bridge. So please check that out. They are on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many other avenues where you can get your podcasts. They're on Facebook at Open Your Ears Podcast, on Twitter at Open Your Ears Podcast. So please check it out. He's doing a great job. We really support it. David and I are going to be guests on there soon. So we just wanted to let you know all about that. And now, on with the regularly scheduled show. Welcome to the world's premier Black Crows podcast. State of America. Hosted by two of the band's most dedicated fans. David Hudson and Ian Rice. And now, let's get the show on the road. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the State of America podcast. I am one of your hosts, Ian Rice, and with me as always is my good buddy, David Hudson. David, how are you, sir? Doing well, Ian. How are things up your way? Oh, you know, just... Living that new normal, you know. So today we are going to be doing another one of our infamous under-review episodes, and we're going to tackle an album that came out in 2009. It's uh, perhaps partially more divisive than some of the other albums. Uh, we're going to tackle the uh, vinyl track listing, which is different than the uh, CD. Today we're going to be talking about uh, Before the Frost Until the Freeze, and joining us as a special guest to have the discussion today all the way from the UK is Mr. Liam Whiting. Liam, how you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you both? Fantastic. Yeah, thanks for having me back on, guys. I enjoyed my last appearance, and hopefully everyone else did. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to reviewing this album with you guys. Oh, yeah, we're going to have some fun with this one. So, Before the Frost, originally when it was released, there was a CD version that came out with a download card in it. So you got the CD was Before the Frost. And then the download was Until the Freeze, and the track listing was slightly different. But the, the way that the band had intended to release it was the, the track listing that's on the vinyl. So that's why I thought we would go with that. And David was in agreement, right, David? Yeah, and I did not know, honestly, I feel ashamed of this, until about a year ago, that this is a concept album. And I had to have somebody explain the, the concept of it to me. But did you guys know that? Or, or, or I'm just kind of the oddball that didn't know it? No, I did not know that. I didn't either. No, I've never thought about it. It's supposed to be like loosely based on this guy that grew up in the country and wants to go to the big city and experience the big city life, but then realizes it's not for him and goes back to, to where he came from. That was my, that was what was told to me by some people on the message board. So now that I know that or was told that and I listened to it, I can kind of weave it in and out, uh, maybe can figure that out, but I... I felt kind of silly that I didn't know it, but now I don't feel as bad because you guys said you didn't know it either. No, it's, I mean, looking over the track listing, the order for the vinyl, I could see how that thread could weave through it. Um, It's probably a loose concept, if anything. But yeah, no, that makes sense, though. That makes it more interesting. I was thinking about this recently, and I was thinking, like, to me, the Crows were a bit ahead of their time for doing a CD and an mp3 because if you think about it in 2009 not many bands really did that and now that's the normal thing so to me i thought that's quite ahead of its time in rock music scene yeah no absolutely and i remember at the time 
downloading it, I actually liked the download half. There were more songs that I liked on that than on the CD part. But, uh, I mean, you know, it's it was obviously originally started out with the Cabin Fever sessions, which were in February of 2009. Uh, February, the tail end of February, and I think like the first or second of March. But uh, so, and that was recorded at the legendary uh, barn, Levon Helms Place, up in uh, up in upstate New York. And uh, of course, they released a DVD from that. But uh, I, if I remember correctly, at the time, it was it was much like the sessions that preceded the Magpie Salute, where it was like a weekend's worth, and it was a very limited. And um, they were kind of recording this new material in front of a, a live audience. And the concept kind of struck me like one of my other favorite albums, which is um, Europe 72 by the Grateful Dead, which is that's material recorded in concert. But it, the crowd isn't really emphasized on it. It's more just to capture the material. And uh, it, it kind of was along those same lines. David, I know you're a fan of Europe 72. Did you kind of get the same impression? Or? Yeah, it is. They they minimized the crowd noise. And I went back and watched the Cabin Fever DVD this weekend and, you know, it's like when they come out, Chris is saying, hey, hold your applause because you might think we're done with the song, but we're not. You know, so there's a definite pause there. But on almost all the tracks, you can hear the crowd at the end. But I don't know about you guys, but when this was taking place, I was sitting in front of the message board every Friday and Saturday night hitting refresh to like two in the morning trying to, you know, trying to hear what other people were saying was going on. And I remember hearing a lot about been a long time waiting on love and little Lizzie, Lizzie May. Those seem to be the two that people were really gravitating to. Uh, and so uh, I, I was I was extremely excited when this came out. But I agree with you, Ian and, and Liam. They were ahead of the curve on some of this stuff with it uh, having the alternate the alternate flow of the album and basically telling you to download it as well and you could make it yourself. But the the reissue that just came out a couple of a couple of months ago, I think. Uh, is in the order that they want it to be, and the album to me flows a lot better that way. Now this uh, this particular tour, uh, I know it kind of it started uh, in the U.S. Obviously, Liam, did you see them on the on the tour in support of this? Yeah, I did. So I saw them um, before whilst they were recording this, and then whilst they released the album. But I'll come to the each song of what I saw and give you my comments as we go. But I did indeed see them on this. Yep. And uh, what kind of places were they playing in the UK on this tour? I don't really remember. So in London, they played in they played in a different venue to what they normally play. And it was in West London. The, I can't think of the venue right now, but I remember Blackberry Smoke played there as well. And I remember during the tour, I couldn't get a ticket because it's a small venue. And I remember Jimmy Page turned up. And just out of the blue, he just came on stage and played with them just because he wanted to. But wow. I couldn't go to that gig because I had to go to Manchester to see him. So I missed out. But, oh, yeah, that's one man. of my memories. I mean, I, I saw him on this tour. The, the venue they played uh, in this area was, uh, you know, a smaller theater. But it was it was really great. I remember them being, you know, with by comparison to the War Paint tour, I, I felt they were more on fire on this tour. Like, they really... They're really excited about the material. I mean, David, you saw them on this tour too, did you not? Either two or three times. And I was, do you remember, guys remember the live from the Artist Inn performance yes. they did? I was at that, I was at that show. Oh, wow. Yeah, when they did it. And honestly, it really took away from the show. There were all of these like mic booms and, and, and uh, cameras that were, it, I don't know, 
like at times you almost felt like you were having to duck the the some of the audio visual equipment uh, and that was one of my least favorite shows i've ever been to uh, and the other one i saw them on was probably the worst show i've ever seen them the set list was terrible they played that horrible cover dolphins uh, i just you don't like that fred neal tune uh, i'm i'm just I'm ready to walk out when that gets played. But, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so yeah, I saw them two or three times on this one, and, and honestly, they were not my not my none of my top ten. Well, yeah, we're going. We're <laughs> going. <laughs> but uh, see, a, a large part of the 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 shows on this tour, though, as much as I like the material, I felt that. Like when they performed the songs in the cabin fever setting, they had uh, Larry Campbell there, which for those who don't know Larry Campbell, I mean, he's a, he's a solo artist in his own right. He does albums on his own and with his wife, uh, Teresa Williams. But he's like a, a big session guy. He did a lot of work with Levon, obviously. Um, he produced the Electric Dirt and the Dirt Farmer uh, albums, the, which were the, um, Levon's last two records before he passed away. Uh, he organized all those midnight rambles that happened at the uh, at Levon's uh, studio. And he was also part of uh, Bob Dylan's touring band from like the late nineties to the mid two thousands. So, I mean, he, he contributed a lot to those sessions. He played, uh, you know, mandolin and he was playing uh, banjo, fiddle, pedal steel. You know, he really added a lot to those songs. A lot of times those elements I felt were missing when they, when they, it was just the band performing on tour. I agree completely. Completely agree. So he was he was the other member on these sessions in addition to the band. And then the only other regular person was Joe Magistro, which everybody would come to know from the Magpie Salute. But he was also in, in Rich's uh, solo band. And then he ended up touring with them, I believe, on the on either this tour or on the 2010 tour or both. And I think he added a lot. It reminded me of when in the Amorica days they had the percussionist. Uh, which add, yeah, yeah, which added a lot to the shows. I've seen Joe a few times with Magpie, and yeah, I think he's a really good musician. Yeah, I think he definitely had something to him, or did add something to him. Even yeah, agreed. And the only the only frustrating thing I found about this album uh, when they, they don't tell you in the liner notes anywhere which performance each song came from, so you don't know if they're full performances from one shot or if they kind of grafted things together. That always kind of bothered me. I don't know. It's but again, I'm a gigantic music nerd so some things like this bother me and other people never even think about them i don't know is that is that anything that ever came up for you guys well i know there were some people on the message boards that were trying to get a good idea of, of which you know which show they they came from but ultimately i mean who knows they may have gone in and done some overdubs and other things so, i mean like you said it could have been a piecemeal thing the live music appreciator in me hopes that like likes to think that those were straight takes and uh you know comparing because they weren't supposed to tape uh those shows but some people did stealth record some things and comparing like things i knew from certain nights to the actual tracks on the album you know you could it's pretty genuine they probably didn't do much studio tweaking i hope i don't know that's just me yeah i agree yeah it bothers me because you see a live dvd of a band and you don't know if it's from one night or another night and you don't know if they've stealth recorded as you said or I, don't, yeah. I, I hope they just do the whole recording as you said but maybe it's just the music fans we are i don't know <laughs> all right guys so let's dive into this because this is a pretty extensive track listing so if we're going to go by the vinyl side one starts with a little tune called aimless peacock 
Rich is playing the uh, the sitar, which is uh, unusual. I I, I kind of like it. It is an odd way to start an album. I think I don't know what's what was your Im- impression of it, David? Well, I have that this is the most Chris Robinson song title ever. He clearly <laughs> came up with the song I, title. I have the same thing in my notes. Yeah, and um, I agree with you. And it's a it's an interesting way to start the album. I think that song is a little bit long. I, I think it I think it's okay, but it's just kind of a an odd placement on the album. But you know they're apparently trying to tell a story here, so this is what they wanted to be the first chapter. But I would shave a little bit of time off of it. But I, I, it's all right. To me, it's a very Chris song because it's sort of a folk psychedelic song. Do you know what I mean? And it's, yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of it either, but it definitely takes some time off it. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, that would be my my biggest complaint with it because it's it's almost intended to be an intro. So you kind of just want to, you know, get into the next thing and it kind of goes on a bit. But uh, it is very Chris. I have to agree. (laughs) But then it does eventually give way to the uh, the first single off the record and one of the uh, standout tracks on the record for me anyway which is uh, good morning captain I think this is a great tune. It's one of the best contributions that Adam McDougall made uh, to any Black Crows material is his uh, piano playing on this. And it really was energetic. The guitar playing is great. And, of course, the title of it uh, would eventually kind of lead to the Magpie Salute band name, in a way. So I've got I, uh, that in my notes as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stealing everybody's stuff here. Uh, what's your, what was your take on the track, though, Liam? Yeah, I really like this song. Um, it's a really catchy song, and it's a sort of a Chris singing um, with some good uh, riffs with Rich and a good slide from Luther. So yeah, good song, good start. Mr. David, oh, I thought it was a great lead single, and you know, Adam McDougall takes a lot of flack from the Black Crows fan base, but this is a song where there's no there's no issue with his playing. It's very tasteful, and don't sleep on the slide guitar that uh, Luther Dickinson adds on this. And I just think it's a great, fun song. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right about uh, Luther on this one. He uh, he hits it out of the park, um, which is I, uh, and sorry, I know Luther gets a lot of stick, and I don't understand it because I think he's a brilliant guitarist. I'm not really too sure why he does. Well, his name's not Mark Ford. <laughs> yeah, really, really what it boils down to with the majority of uh, of the Black Crows fan base is uh, anybody not named Mark Ford is going to take a hell of a beating no matter how good they are. And, uh, you know, it's a shame really with that because, you know, 
it's big shoes to fill on the material that already exists. But like the stuff that Luther put his own playing onto, he knocked out of the great. Park. Yeah, it's great. He's a great player, yep. and I I wouldn't ever take that away from him. But it's hard. A lot of these, a lot of fans are unforgiving, as we all know. But then, so that the next track in the in the running uh, order here is uh, probably, I would say, this is my favorite of the more uh, rock based tracks on this album. Uh, it's definitely a rich track. You could tell because it's based uh, solely on a, on a very heavy riff, and that's uh, been a long time waiting on love. Very exciting track to me. Rich knocks it out of the park. Everybody knocks it out of the park on this one. I think it's a great tune. What do you think, David? When I listen to this, I think this could have been on Amorica. It, it just has that vibe to it. Uh, it's probably my favorite song on the album. Uh, it's just got an amazing groove, and the percussion that Joe Magistro adds on this just really is is, is really tasty. The backing vocals on it, I love the backing vocals on it. And uh, the chorus, of course, is great. And the ending kind of coda, I think, is one of the best pieces of music in the band's career. And everybody gets a place to shine on it, from Chris playing the harmonica to Adams contributing great playing. And uh, when I, you listen toward the end of it, it kind of reminds me a lot of High Head Blues. Yeah, it, it definitely does uh, have a High Head Blues vibe to it. I don't know, Liam, what was your impression of the track? Yeah, I really liked this song. I thought it had a good Hendrick lead style from Luther, good solo with the harmonica. Yeah, big fan of this song really like it that's a good comparison with high head blues i never thought of that but that fits really well yeah yeah it definitely is i never thought of it myself but that's that's a good one david <laughs> but uh there's a there's a element of this song i really like too when um there's a, a part that rich plays and and luther lays something right over the top of it and the way those two guitar parts like join together it's like perfect it really is i think it's one of the the, the best moments uh recorded by the luther version uh, of this band to be perfectly honest so i know david usually likes to uh get to the uh slow track third spot in but because of aimless peacock it takes the fourth slot and the last song on side one greenhorn greenhorn dream salty sea maidens fair and love Back on 
running call from emerald walls of cities far and strange. I wanna wake up in the morning. acoustic number i really like the way uh, chris and rich sing together on this one uh, i'm gonna go right to you david because i think you're gonna be quite the opposite of what i'm thinking here my notes two words just terrible oh <laughs> that reminds me of the what was it uh the spinal tap review of shark sandwich two words shit sandwich yeah <laughs> that's all i have i have greenhorn just terrible <laughs> all right well, here's our first uh, disagreement. <laughs> what about you, Liam? What do you think of this one? I'm going to be in the middle here. I like the intro, and I did think there's some good parts of this song, and I thought, to me, this is a very Chris Robinson song, and this seems to be more what he did with CRB post-Black Crows. But, yeah, I'm, I'm in the fence. There's some good parts to it, and I don't think it's the worst song on the album. No, I mean, I, I, I honestly really enjoy this one. One of the reasons, and I like this in any kind of, I like when bands do this in recordings, but uh, there's actually a mistake in this song, and they leave it in, and I, I, that's that's one element I like. I think Rich either forgets to jump in on the on his background vocal or comes in too late or something. They kind of just left it as is. They didn't tweak it. And it kind of stays with the the live element of the overall recording process so i thought that was kind of cool hey but, Ian, all right, I'll move I, on I, I, I did i did want to interject this because i went back the other day and li- listened to our interview with steve gorman and mm-hmm. I, I didn't catch this when during the interview but when you were doing the part where you're like we want to talk to you about some songs that are divisive and you go the next one is a song off before the frost that's divisive amongst the fan base and steve goes just throw a dart <laughs> Uh, another track that uh, always seems to divide people. It's actually one I've, I've heard Rich uh, mention that he couldn't, uh, he, he didn't like very much. Was uh, from Cabin Fever uh, sessions. It was uh, I ain't hiding. <laughs> I was gonna say throw throw a dart, take your pick. Um. <laughs> <laughs> really, I st- I didn't I missed that on the edit too. I never even picked up on that. That's yeah, great. he said just throw a dart. So because uh, you know he talks about he's like my playing was great on it, but uh, I don't think he was a big fan of. It, but yeah. Sorry, guys. I, I just uh, Greenhorn is just it's an abomination. David, is that what you're doing here? Are you trying to uh, be friends with Steve Gorman here, and you just you're not liking this album? <laughs> I, I I listen. I salute you if that's the route you're going, because I who wouldn't want to be friends with Steve Gorman? <laughs> 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 All right. So side two of this record opens up with a track that clearly is a is a Chris Penn tune because he carried it over to the CRB. But I, I actually prefer the Black Crows version of this. And I might be in the minority there, but that's the track Appaloosa. Sometimes the sun makes beggars believers and sometimes the shrine is built to deceivers in between let oblivion rain Oh, let me hear all your sad angels sing 
Yeah, what's your take on this one? I really like this song, but I preferred him playing it in CRB personally. Um, I thought this was probably one of the best songs off the album. Um, I did see this one live. You, you're taking the words out of my mouth. It's one of the standout tracks on it. I love the Crows version, but I honestly like the CRB version better. Uh, I think it's some of Chris's best lyrics and uh, and one of his better vocal efforts. And I remember on that very controversial uh, Howard Stern appearance a couple of years ago, he wrote this about who he was married to at the time. They're divorced now. I don't remember her name, but it was a song that he wrote about her. And uh, the CRB version is just out of sight, man. It's great. But this is this is an amazing tune. Uh, the instrumentation on it is so subtle, but it's mixed so so perfectly. It's just a it's just a great song. I have no, I have no problems with it. I don't I don't care who plays it, the Crows or or the CRB. I, I'm going to be happy to hear it. I think I might have seen CRB and the Crows play this. I've got a feeling. I think uh, I've only just seen the Crows because I've I've never um, seen the CRB in concert. But you know, I have the records and stuff. But uh, we well, right. and they actually recorded it. It's on one of the studio albums. Um, is that right? I, yeah. I don't. I'm, I'm of all the material that their stuff is the ones I'm, I'm least familiar with the uh, track yeah. orders and what made the albums and stuff. Oh, so I have I, to go I, back. And I, think I think it's I think it's on the second one. I believe it's on there. Well, all right. So that's. Two against one. See, I told you it was going to be this way. <laughs> <laughs> and as we're rapidly traveling into uh, the section of the album, which I think is the most controversial amongst fans in terms of uh, you know opinions being one, you know one way or the other, there's not a lot of middle ground. And that starts, I think, with uh, the next tune, which is Shady Grove. <laughs> to like this tune i it's a little bit more has a bit more bluegrass elements to it and things like that um i'm a big fan of bluegrass elements i couldn't do like bluegrass all day 24 7 but i like when those elements are introduced into songs i happen to like this song i like the way chris and rich sing it together i like the instrumentation i don't know dude what do you think i'm nervous it's one of the songs on that cabin fever that you actually got to see them working up by themselves chris and rich working together i i didn't never like I don't hate it, I don't love it either. It's just all always kind of been kind of meh to me. Hundred percent, what I was going to say. Like to me, I'm not a fan. It seems a bit of a filler song with some good backing music. Yeah, I'm on your side here. All right, if we're going to carry on this way, I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> actually, the next track is actually the first track that I I really I don't care for on the album. I don't think it should be on the album. That's Garden Gate. <laughs>
Brown-eyed girl, precious flower from your slumber away. We have come to this fateful hour, and our love cannot wait. Meet me at the gate, at the garden gate, meet me at the garden gate. You made a promise, now don't be late, meet me at the garden gate. Meet me at the gate, at the garden gate, meet me at the garden gate. You made a promise, now don't be late, meet me at the garden gate. Not so much as that it's a bad track. It just it stands out like a sore thumb. It's not like anything else on it, and it's very out of character for the band, which great for giving it a go. But that's uh, in a way like an Irish folk tune or something like that. Like it really has uh, an element to it that I can't quite put my finger on. But I don't know. It, it never really did much for me, and I have actually seen it in concert, and it didn't really resonate for me there either. I don't know, Liam. What, what's your take on this one? I, I like this song. I think it's a catchy song. I think I saw it live as well. Um, but I've noticed with the song, they've tried a couple of songs. So there's like a couple of bluegrass songs that are done in a row. And there's a couple of disco songs coming up that we'll talk about later. But yeah, I, I don't mind this song. I prefer it to I prefer it to Shady Grove, personally. And David? Well, Ian, you basically read my notes. I have, I have this just seems so out of character for the Crows. And I have the lyrics seem very contrived. Um, I just never have been a fan of it. Yeah, I mean it. It was a it was a uh, a risk for them, I think, to to go in this direction. And and like I said, I never fault anybody, any band for trying something. You know, as you go as bands progress and they've been around for more and more years, you got to kind of try to shake it up. And you know, I just think it's risky among the Black Crows fan base because they're uh, uh, they're probably the most critical fan base I've ever interacted with and you know i'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing but you know it's 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 ballsy to put this on an album with that group you know knowing it's going up against them i think this album is a very experimental album because there's a lot of things on this album that they don't usually do or try but i, I applaud it for them 100 percent. but yeah yeah it's funny like i didn't know till more recently how many people weren't a fan of this album i thought it was a little bit more well received by fans than it was so that was surprising to me. But sticking with the uh, the more folky type elements in these tracks, the next song uh, is uh, Shine Along. Thank you. 
this is actually one of the two songs I first heard off this because it was on that bootleg that somebody, you know, stealth recorded at one of the Cabin Fever shows. So I, I like this from the beginning. I, there's something about the way Chris sings this. It's very, like, guttural. And then Rich comes in with a real high harmony that I like. And uh, of all the kind of folkier experimentations on the album, I think this was the most successful uh, for me anyway. I don't know, David, what do you think? Ian, I feel like somehow you hacked into my computer and read my notes. Like, you basically said exactly what I have. Well, you know, we have we have a, a symbiosis after all this time, you know. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I, of all the kind of folky type songs on here, this is my favorite one. I'm going the opposite. I'm not a fan. Oh, I didn't expect this to happen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think this is the strongest side of the vinyl, personally. I don't think this is. No. You know, it's it's funny that you say that. Like, um, the the each side of the vinyl actually is kind of compartmentalized. So if you weren't like really big on the more folky bluegrassy stuff like that's pretty much the majority of side two you can kind of just move along maybe they did that to be nice you know but the uh the next track is um another one that strikes me as a uh a more chris oriented tune and that's roll old jeremiah talk bluegrassy this is um bluegrass to the uh, 10th degree i think and uh i was never a huge fan of this because lyrically it doesn't do a lot for me i, I had something about like you know the fox jumps over the hollow log and things like that i don't know it just it just fell flat for me i feel like i might be in the minority on this though I, what do you think liam i'm agreeing with you <laughs> not a big fan wow somebody's on my side yeah. <laughs> oh, see, that leaves I, you, David. What I love it. I, I have here that it's an amazing tune. I was like, everybody in the band kills it with their playing. Uh, it's one that Chris took to the CRB, and the CRB did it justice. It's one of my favorite ones of the of the kind of more country slow down things. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I, I don't want to give the wrong impression that I don't like it entirely. It's musically, it's really good to me. I, like I said, it's just the lyrics that kind of take me out of it, but. That's just me. Yeah, it's but. not that like I don't appreciate the record. It's just it's not really my sort of thing. But it's a very yeah, it's a good song. It's just I'm not a fan personally. So yeah, and you know the same kind of goes uh, for the next track for me anyway. And that's Houston. Don't dream about me. I might 
another song that I feel is very like Chris oriented. I, 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 it's it's a it's an all right tune for me. It's not one that I always was dying to go back to. It's just something about it. I, I don't know. I can't put my finger on it, but it just never really resonated for me. I mean, did it do much for you, David? Or this is up there with Diamond Ring and Go Tell the Congregation for me. Is <laughs> I, I, I do not like this song at all. I don't understand how it made the album. It's honestly one of my least favorite songs the band ever recorded. Well, that's that's hit it right on the head. <laughs> what do you think, Liam? Not a fan either. There's some good singing to it and some good backing music, but no, not a big fan either. I'm with David here. Yeah, I mean, I think that's. I I think we're all kind of in agreement here. Like, it's there's nothing particularly wrong with it. It just doesn't. It's not great. Yeah, it doesn't strike a chord or anything, and it's it kind of it's like a almost like a throwaway to me, you know. And an odd way to end a side, too. You usually want to end a side on a good uh, note, you know? So I, I'm getting excited because this is going to be an interesting part right here. I'm looking forward to this response. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm not going to say my uh, my opinion first. I'm going to throw this right over to David. So I'm just going to say the title, and then, David, you, uh, you jump right in. I ain't hiding. <laughs> my notes in the in the crows fan base second only to licking as the worst song they've ever recorded but i said according to them this song i have grown to like it i initially hated it and you know i remember on that interview steve was like when chris was playing it we were like what is what is going on here my opinion at the time was it's either not on the album or it's the first single nothing in between because (laughs) It's such a what the fuck is this that you need to run with it because, you know, what's the point of a single? It's to get attention to the album. I mean, everyone overthinks this shit. If you're putting out a single, you're saying you're waving a flag in the air and going, look over here. Look what we built. You know, that's the point of a single. And so if you're going to put out a single, put that thing out. If nothing else, everybody would go, what the fuck are they doing? Um <laughs> But that's that's the pragmatic side of my brain. I mean, when Chris was when he you know, he he wrote that and when he was showing everybody what he wanted and kind of guiding the band through it, we were all looking at each other going, is it time for the lobotomy? I mean, is this, are we is this it? But but again, that said, it was awesome to play it because just the faces on everyone in that barn when we were playing it was 
worth its weight in gold. You know, like everyone's looking at us like, what the fuck are you guys doing? <laughs> and the whole question of, is it real? Is it a joke? Is this supposed to be funny? I mean, I'm, I'm always up for stuff like that. So, you know, I, I don't, I can't say I like the song, but the process, it was an interesting thing to go through. And it was funny to, to record it in that setting of all places. You know, it was classic, you know, it was a legitimate, you know, standard black crows. What the fuck are they thinking? This podcast, a lot of people that, I, that I've talked to have helped me change my opinion on a lot of songs on this album. I have come to like it. CRB did a great job with it, but this isn't CRB's to the Black Crows. But man, the solos on here are on fire. Rich and Luther are killing it. I, I, I don't hate it like everybody else does. As a matter of fact, I don't skip it now and, and, and enjoy it. No, you're you're absolutely right, David, in terms of the solos being on fire. I mean, Rich, Rich blasts a solo on this thing. That if you listen really closely in the background of the recording, uh, I think I've mentioned this before on, on another episode, but you know everybody was supposed to be quiet during the recording. There was supposed to be no applause, like you mentioned before, David. And, but somebody was so caught up in Rich's solo, you can hear them just give a huge like "Yeah" in the background <laughs> of, of the track that's on the album. I mean, that's how good his solo is, and the solo is the saving grace on this track for me. wasn't for that i'd have no time for it but uh i don't know liam what, what do you think of this one so i remember seeing the crows before this album had came out it was in brixton academy where they're meant to be playing at the end of this year and i remember they played it and everyone looked to each other like what the hell are they doing <laughs> like why are they playing like a disco song <laughs> but i don't know what it is but i really like this song it's not a usual Crow song, and I wouldn't say it's one of the worst songs, but yeah, I, I think it's a good song. And I, I think, from memory, this got some sort of mainstream attention by, I don't know, in a good or a bad way, but I somehow remember that. Well, I mean, it was basically kind of like, you know, Pearl Jam just had when they released that song, Dance of the Clairvoyance, that just came out, and it was completely different. And I mean, this is basically a disco song that the Black Crows are playing. And I don't understand where how it fits in, because it does not... Thematically yeah. and musically, everything, it's the oddball on here. It doesn't make sense being on here. I mean, at the time, I always saw it as kind of like, oh, this is the crows miss you. You know what I mean? Like, the Stones went down that avenue. It's it's, it's the similar similar four on the floor beat, you know, like the disco beat. But I don't know. It just it never, never did anything for me. There's actually, I saw this maybe like two, three years back. Um, there's an interview with Rich. And the interviewer asked him about this, and his reaction to it, 
you could tell he just genuinely didn't like this song. So I give him credit for putting one of his best lead solos on a song he didn't even really like that much. That's you know, that's dedication to the uh, to the collective, you know. But uh, I, the next track coming up, I I already know what David's going to say about this one. Kept my soul. like this song i really like the way it starts i like the way chris delivers his vocal i like his lyrics on it and the the guitars are pretty uh pretty mean on this one but uh liam i'm gonna check in with you first before i go to david just to torture him a little bit (laughs) what do you think of this one i'm i'm with you yeah i like this song i think it's got a good intro good chorus and to me the album this side has picked up after we were moaning about the other side but yeah i like this song um so Let's hear what we all want to hear, shall we? <laughs> so my, my my apologies to our friend Kate, who uh, ha- has been on this podcast before. She loves this song, but I have on here, it has a very cool intro, the guitar. I put, I hate Chris's delivery on this song spe- during the, the, the verses. I just can't stand that. And then the chorus, I think, is actually pretty cool, but I cannot get past how bad the verses are. And uh, I just, no matter how good the playing is, for whatever reason, his his cadence and delivery on this just drives me up the wall. I just, uh, I, I don't like it. And I know I'm going to get, I feel like I've said that on social media and people come at me, man. It's kind of like I said something on social media a couple of weeks ago that I hated the Eagles. And man, like I basically got hate mail, uh, you know, but uh, I, I just, I, I don't understand how... Those verses and the way he delivered it, I don't understand how that made the record, but clearly I'm the oddball on that. Yeah, and this is also another case of um, where there's a mistake that they leave in. There's a, there's a, um, I'm not going to point out exactly where it is because I don't want people coming after me for perhaps ruining the song for them. So, but it's in there. And I, I always like stuff like that. I like because that to me is genuine and it's not something that's been messed around with in the studio too much. It's just the raw article it's right there for you so i like things like that now the next song is a song that takes us back to a little more of a uh, acoustic place and uh definitely more of a uh, a chris 
inspired tune. It's uh, Lady of Avenue A. this album came out i had no time for this song i really didn't like it all that much i thought it was i don't know i just it was too slow for me at the time but i i've come to appreciate it a little bit more because lyrically if you if you listen to it it kind of gives you you know if you have if you have a decent enough imagination it kind of you can kind of paint a picture in your mind of it and it's kind of a cool little lyrical story uh you know not my not my worst song on the album but also not my favorite i don't know what do you think david I just have total skipper. <laughs> You're really just coming in with these two word shots, man. You know? <laughs> I mean, I told you I had some. I, I mean, there are songs in this album that I think are absolutely amazing, and there's songs that I just I don't like, and that's one that I don't like. Now let me let me take a, a second to ask you. Now, would you have been more satisfied then with just the original CD? What was on that that shorter running order? Do you think that makes a better album? Or I think you could have made one CD and and cherry picked and it would have been a, a very 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 good album so you think the uh the, you know, the, the double album nature of it hurts it a bit i'm not a big fan of double albums very few, there's very few that i really really like and I, I just i mean i applaud what they did i think it's very cool and if i'd have seen them record this i would have i would have been into it you know but there's not a whole lot of like in between on, for me on this album and I mean, like I said, I, I think I'm in the minority on that, but I think you could have cherry picked it, and it could have been a really, really good album. I would, I, I would agree. It, it might have been better suited to, you know, one disc thing that was perhaps longer than I believe. You know, the CD when it came out was about 11 tracks. You know, you could, you could obviously flesh it out a little bit more, make it about 15 or 16, and, and have a really strong record. But uh, Liam, I don't, what's your take on Lady of Avenue A? What do you think of it? I'm going with you. To start with, wasn't a big fan. Gone back and listened to it. I think it's a good song. But I agree with you about double albums, but I think it depends on the bands, personally, because sometimes there's some good ones, sometimes there's not. But then what 10 songs would you have picked if you did, say, hypothetically, or 12 songs? Now, that, perhaps that's a, uh, a good thing we can throw out there to all the listeners uh, to... Uh... You know, they can come and post on uh, Facebook and Twitter and all that and, and give us their best one-disc version of Before the Frost Until the Freeze. So anyone wants to accept that challenge out there, let us know what you think. Now, the next two tracks on this on the record 
are two that have never really done much for me. Uh, the first one being Make Glass. thing about make glad is it never like gets off the ground for me and the chorus just kind of falls flat it is nice to hear sven doing some little singing on this i do agree with that but i don't know it's just something about the song and i, I saw this in the live setting too and, and a lot of times the crows something i might not have been attracted to on the album in the live setting it'll bring me around but i just could never really get into this one this is what i'm going back to earlier where there was a few where they've tried to do the same song the same style twice so to me this was a bit like the same style as i ain't hiding but yeah doesn't do anything for me i think it's another example of like great playing but the lyrics and the delivery just fall short for me uh, i would leave this one off it's it's mostly a lyrical thing right i mean it's it's just a kind of i don't know even just the title itself is kind of silly to me i don't know it just kind of never really grabbed me the right way and then i feel very similar about uh, the next track, which is And the Band Played On. Than, than than make glad, but I, I, it's just something about the track. Like it's almost trying too hard to be an anthem or something like that. Like I just never really really did much for me. Yeah, I think it's got some good riffs and backing to it, but it's like they tried to make it into sort of another single, like Remedy or something, but it just never kicked off or anything happened. But yeah, agreed. 
Oh, I've always liked it. I've always had a real soft spot for it. I think Adam McDougall really shines on this one. He just really puts his stamp on it. And for whatever reason, I've just loved that part where, in the lyric where Chris goes, and the band played on through the storm, through the wicked, wicked rain. I've just always loved that part of the song. And uh, this is one I would keep on there. And I, I really like it. I think it's that and like Good Morning Captain. Either one of those could have been the lead single and it would have been good. Yeah, I, I would agree, David. I think the the and the band played on part is uh, that part lyrically is very cool. And that's actually of all the things I like about the song. That's the one I like the most. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'll have to, uh, you know, I listened to it again as I did the, the full run through, but maybe I'll have to spend a little more time with it. Cause I, I value your opinion, David. I hope you know that. And I'd like to, <laughs> I'd like to give it a fair shot. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So moving on, you know, we start side four. I happen to like a lot of the the material on side four, and I, I I'm oh I got anxiety on this because I know this is going to upset David. I think perhaps my favorite song on this record starts off side four, and that is "What Is Home." This was the first track I ever heard off this record. Maybe that influences my opinion of it. It was on that bootleg that I heard. I think it's one of Rich's best compositions ever. It's up there with, with his best material. I'm a big fan of a lot of his solo material. There's, some people have told me uh, that they prefer the the later Magpie version that's electric. And that is a very cool version too. But I've always been... There's something about this song that just hits with me on many levels. Musically... You know, lyrically, it really paints a picture for me, and I, I can, I know that a lot of people don't like this song, and uh, I know David is one of them. So let me know. Let me let me hear, David. What what do you think of this one? To me, the verses have always seemed very disjointed on the acoustic p- portion. Uh, I think it's a great chorus. I love the Magpie version uh, when it's played electrically. I don't get the disjointness that I get um, from the acoustic version and. This was always one that I skipped, and when I saw that it was going to be on that first Magpie album, I was like, why are they putting that on there? And then I heard it, and it's actually one of the standout tracks for me. So I guess it's just more in the presentation on this than the actual song. I think this is a really nice song. I like this song, and this this side's got a different vibe to the other three. Um, and yeah, to me, this is a very Magpie Salute song. I the same thing in my notes. You must have stole mine. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just, uh, you know, and there's there's stuff to be said for each version of the song, but I, I, I just, there's always been a, a special place in my heart for this song, and there always will be. Which brings us to the next song, which is a cover. And in the tradition of the Black Crows, this is a song that, 
their cover version I prefer to the original, and I'm a fan of the original, and that is so many times. on the second Manassas album, the Manassas album that a lot of people seem to forget about, but it's a great song. The Chris and Rich version of this, their harmonies together on this are unbelievable. I mean, this is such a, a powerful song. When they, uh, you know, say, through the darkness and hide behind walls, and, and Rich takes that real high shot on his, it's some of his best vocals ever. I mean, it really, this song really is touching to me. And it takes a lot as you get older to have songs really affect you that way as much as they did say when you were maybe 16 or so. But it, this song really affects me. And it, it's, it's almost hard to believe it's a cover because they really own the song. Yeah, I really like the song. Yeah, I never knew it was a cover. Didn't know that. But yeah, I like the song a lot. But I agree with you about the Crows covering songs. They always do a good job of them. So you didn't know prior to just now, you didn't know this song was a cover? No, never knew that. Oh, no. I surprised you with something. <laughs> I feel like I should have known it, but no, I didn't know it at all. Well, I mean, it's really a, a testament to how they perform cover songs. You know, it really, you wouldn't think it was. And it's it's very much in their style. It's not out of their wheelhouse. You know, some sure. covers they do really are left field and, you, you know, you know it's not their song. But this one could easily be their song. I know, what, what do you think of this one, David? One of the best covers they've ever done. It's the yeah. best. It's the best harmonies Chris and Rich have ever have ever done. I'm I'm like you. I listen to the song. It gives me chill bumps, especially you know when when they are really peaking with those harmonies. Um, and f- for a long time, I didn't know it was a cover either. I think it blows the Manassas track out of the water. Yeah, the Manassas one's uh, slightly faster. You know, it's a great track. I, I've always you know I'm, I'm a little. I, I got into Manassas very early, so I you know I I was surprised when they did this and it came out. I said. And I saw the title. I said, that can't be the Manassas song. Because you know, it's not even – wasn't a single or anything. It was just a, a, a you know an album track from their second album that didn't do particularly well. So it was a nice pick by them. And Larry Campbell really does some nice pedal steel on this. I mean, you want things that 
you know, pull at your heartstrings in, in songs and that it's the pedal steel can do that for you. You know, Jerry Garcia was a master of the pedal steel in a lot of facets of his uh, music and it, it, it done properly. It, it can really have an emotional effect. And in this case it does, but um, that leads us to a train still makes a lonely sound. Well, I might have seen Moses standing on the Penn State line. Just another wanderer with an angel on his mind. I know love it has its reason. The way looking to hurt the song's feelings or anything but it's it's almost going back to the well one too many times for me this is this is jealous again and by your side it's the same type of riff and it's just it kind of it's like almost like they kind of just threw in one like hey let's let's do one you know for old time's sake kind of thing and it's not a bad song it's just i've heard that that riff one too many times i don't know what do you think david ian david I believe is giving me the finger. So this this is a this is a great song, and I love that riff. I don't care how many times they they do it. Jealous Again's a great song. By Your Side's a great song. Man, I love the vibe of it, and I love the the part where he's like, "Oh Tennessee, you got me running." Uh, it's one of my favorite songs on the album. I just I I really love it a lot. Well, I'm sorry, David. You know we're all allowed to have different opinions, and I don't think you should be giving me the finger. <laughs> Uh, what do you think, Liam? I'm with David. Really like this song. Great verse. I think it's one of the best songs on the album. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it's just got a great groove to it. I mean, maybe I'm not saying it right. Like, I, I don't dislike the song in any way. It's just it doesn't to, – to come off of so many times, which really hit me emotionally, and then to this, it just it isn't – it's just a typical – song to me like it didn't it's not bad in any way it just it's just it's kind of familiar almost is you know sometimes and and this album familiar doesn't work as well you know but all right i'll take the beating i'm in the minority here on this one it seems to be rotating around who's the uh who's in the hot seat you know but uh the next song kind of heads back to the uh the more folky uh kind of vibe and that's fork in the river Sugar, no safe passage on. 
To me, I thought it was interesting that it's, first of all, it shares a lot of similarities to So Many Times, and to have the two songs that sound that close alike on an album, and then have them, basically one song in between them, I thought was kind of odd, but I mean, I cannot complain about the song, it's great, and it's Chris and Rich doing another great job singing together, and I, I love it. Listening to it in hindsight, to me, I don't know if it was, like you said, it was a concept album, but I don't know if it was signaling the end of the band. Because if you listen to some of the lyrics of Safe Passenger Home, like, are they subliminally telling you, like, this is the end of the Crows? Or I'm not too sure. But yeah, I like this song. Yeah. I never had any particular problems with this song. It's very subdued. Uh, As David mentioned, I do like the way Chris and Rich sing on this. They really showcase that a lot more than on any albums prior and uh you know perhaps it lends itself more so to you know this type of material and and things like that but really strong it's a nice penultimate track which uh leads into the album the side four closer and the album closer which is the last place that love lives song was a was a grower for me I, I at first i didn't necessarily just like it but it took a bit from for it to really hit me the right way but it's a great song and the and the 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 fiddle that's played on it really adds a really nice element to it it's very sad and you know uh, not that I, I like to dwell on sad things but sometimes sad songs are the most poignant and the most touching and i really think that this is one of those songs definitely comes across to me like a, a chris song 
and he did perform it later, you know, in his solo ventures and things. So I would tend to think he did most of the writing on this. And it, it, to me, if that is the case, it's it's one of his uh, biggest achievements as a songwriter. I don't know. What do you think, David? I initially was very dismissive of it when it came out. In preparing for this episode, you know, I've gone back and listened to the album all the way through several times. My appreciation of it's growing. I think it starts off a little slow, but I think when you get to the point where the other instrumentation comes in, uh, it's really good. But I agree with you. This is a it's a great it's great songwriting by Chris, and he conveys that emotion really well on this one. And it, honestly, it kind of like rips your heart out. Yeah. So when I first heard it, I thought it was all right, and then I saw them play it live on this tour, and I thought it's absolutely incredible. This is one of his best songs. Yeah, really liked it. Um, I think it could be possibly the best song. I don't know. One of the best. Not sure. Yeah, and that that's ultimately what makes – like songs that don't initially grab you and they, they take a minute to build up and they become something that you think is amongst the best on the album. It's almost more satisfying that way. It's like you put in the time with it you know, and it really paid off. I think it's a great tune. I think overall, Before the Frost Until the Freeze, great album. You know, I understand – why it's so divisive, but I really just like as an overall, you know, thing, how the way they recorded it, you know, the, the types of material they did, the risks they took, the outside of the box kind of things they were doing. I really appreciate it for all those things. And, uh, you know, I'll always like the record. I, I really think it was uh, as a whole, you know, a, a great thing and definitely something as a whole, I enjoyed more so than say war paint, you know, I don't know, what are your, your overall impressions on it, David? A lot of hits and a lot of misses. So, uh, like I said, I think you could make a really good album if you trimmed it down. But I applaud what they did. It was very interesting and very kind of groundbreaking. I still don't really know of anybody that's done that before. Um, so, um, yeah, I applaud them for doing it. But, I mean, it's it's not my favorite by far. But uh, some, some really good stuff on there. And... It's it's mixed really well considering it's all done live. That that's you know it's mixed really well and I think uh, it's probably Luther's best work with the band and Adam's best work with the band and and Larry Campbell really added another layer to it. I kind of wish he could have toured with them on this mm. and I I think that would have made a, a big difference in the live presentation. And Liam, what's your uh, what's your overall impressions of the album as a whole? I think it's some of the best stuff that they've recorded in years but as David said some of it's a bit missed but yeah it was great to see live um, the songs I did see but yeah I enjoyed it overall Um, it was a shame that that was the last album for a while but that's music I suppose isn't it yeah Uh, you know and I did um, I kind of trolled through Crow's Bass as I often do and I was just reading uh, you know about each uh, session that would end up becoming you know the bulk of the album and I was looking there's actually quite a few songs they performed that did, weren't released in any way or, or you know, because some things, you know, like uh, Little Lizzie May and Oh Sweet Nothing, which deserve a mention because Rich is out of this world on Oh Sweet Nothing. Those are both on the DVD. But there were a couple of things that never made it at all. And particularly um, there was two that had Levon on the drums and uh, and Larry Campbell on guitar. And it was two covers. They did Mellow Down Easy and uh, Keep a Knockin' which I would have loved to have heard those. Um, they did a version of Girl from the North Country, which they always knock it out of the park with. I would have loved to have heard that. You know, and a couple other things. Actually, there was one, one song, I don't know if it's an original or a cover, uh, it's called Find a Pearl. And uh, in Crow's Base, it's noted as, as something that was just Chris and Adam only. I think that might have been an interesting thing to hear. 
but you know who knows it's funny that you know the crows and david and i have discussed this many times they sit on a on such a wealth of unreleased material and snippets and things and they're also known for recording most of what they do so you know it's just sitting there it would really be nice to for it to see the light of day someday but the little lizzie may could have been the lead single yeah that was a strong one i don't know why it didn't make the album uh, i believe it made a crb album. it did yeah so crb recorded appaloosa little lizzie may and did they officially record the last place that love lived or was that just a live version yeah they did they recorded it yeah yeah so oh, is that right? Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's three songs that, that they did. And uh, Little Lizzie May, they did a great service to it. I, I think all the, the CRB versions of these songs are all really, really good. It almost strikes me that maybe the CRB arrangements are um, more of what, like if Chris had had total control over everything, how they would have been, you know, without anybody else's input. And, and, and sometimes that probably serves the song better and sometimes serves it worse. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I mean, great album. Just a just a great album in my opinion, and uh, I'm sure this is going to be one of those one of those episodes that sparks a uh, discussion online, and we probably take a beating for some of our choices. All three of us, so you can't hide, Liam. All right, I'm in this <laughs> as well. It's Lions 2.0. <laughs> <laughs> Liam, really appreciate you coming on with us. Always a pleasure, and we'll certainly have you back again in the future. David and I always extend the. Uh, the courtesy uh, to the, our guests to uh, choose our playout song, and I know you have actually. Uh, you and I spoke about this prior. Uh, we're going to do a twofer for you. So, uh, what were the songs you had uh, selected? So, I wanted a song that was on the album, and I wanted to have a tribute to Neil Cassell because I was a big fan of him, and he was a really nice guy. So, it's the last place that love lives, and Appaloosa of Chris and Neil playing it together, which I think are both brilliant versions. All right, everybody. So here are those two uh, acoustic renditions by Chris Robinson and Neil Casal of Appaloosa and The Last Place That Love Lives. Thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time. Stay tall, everyone.
you down Sometimes the sun makes beggars believers Sometimes the shrine is built to deceivers In between let oblivion ring Oh let me hear all you sad angels sing Take me home where I can dream my days away. called uh, The Last Place That Love Lives.
jacket rock Behind two iron doors So heavy they need no lock Here's the last place that love Here's the last place that love lives behind your Ah. <sighs>